Uh, if you guys don't know it, there's another fuller in the house. It's usually not here. And when a fuller comes, I have to recognize him. But my Aunt Gail is in the back there. She came from Atlanta. She got out of the ice of Atlanta to come to 72 degrees and paradise here. But uh, she's actually a fuller, and so you can decide for yourself what I get from her, whether it's my height or whether it's my good looks. All right? You guys can let me know later what you think. <laughs> but I'm excited she's here. We spent the last uh, couple weeks actually talking about grace. And even as we sang those songs, it was encouraging me to think about this everlasting God, to think about this God, this God who, who doesn't grow weary with us. He, he doesn't faint. He's everlasting. He doesn't forsake us as we've been talking about. And we've been thinking about His grace and considering His grace. And we're even considering His grace as we go through an Old Testament historical writing, the book of Nehemiah. But God's grace, we see that here. In the last three weeks, again, our last two weeks, chapter 8, chapter 9, and now chapter 10, really all have been about God's grace. If you guys remember, in chapter 8, we talked about we, we begin this rebuilding. God begins to rebuild His people when we come face to face with His undeserving love. When we come face to face with that, when we come before His Word vulnerable and receiving it and understanding who He is, we start to understand His grace. We talked about that He's both holy and He's loving. And that we should rejoice in that. We get to rejoice in His grace. We get to celebrate His grace because we have a God who is gracious to us. And then in chapter 9, we learn that God continues to rebuild us, right? It's not over. We, we, he begins to rebuild us when we con confront this grace, when we come face to face with it, but then He continues to rebuild us. And He does that as we remember Him. We talked about remember. We need to remember to worship. We worship Him. We realize this is not about me. This is about God. We talked about confession and humility. It's not about me. It's about God. And if it's about God, I'm going to worship Him. If I see His grace, I'm going to worship Him in response. And then we also remember his story. Remember that he initiated this relationship with us. He sustains it. He keeps it. The only thing that we do is we break it. And he what? He restores it. He continues with us. He does not forsake us. It's all based, again, on him. It's his story. But then we have to realize our part in it. We're a part of his story. Just like the Israelites were stubborn and terco, we are stubborn and terco. Every one of us, each of you, we all are stiff-necked. But God restores us. God loves us anyway. And we have Jesus. Grace upon grace has been shown to us. He came full of grace and gave His life for us. We've seen grace fulfilled, grace demonstrated, grace shown. And so last week I left you guys with the question, how will you respond? How will you respond to God's grace? After coming face to face with it, after remembering it, after understanding it, what's your response to this undeserving love? We've recognized His grace. We remembered His grace. But the project, I told you guys, it's not over. It continues on. So what's our responsibility? What's our part as we said, that God begins to rebuild us, God continues to build us, but then as He continues to rebuild us, what's our part? Do we do anything? Do we just sit back and let God be God? Or do we play a part? Do we participate in that? And so today, that's what we're looking at is our part. What's our response to grace? How do we respond to it? How do we 
think? How do we act? What do we do in response to grace? So as we read this passage, again, this is the Israelites. This is in the time of Nehemiah. They've rebuilt the wall. Now God is rebuilding His people. He's establishing His people. And we're going to see what their response to grace is. So I'm going to read starting at the end of chapter 9. I didn't read the last verse, verse 38. So I'm going to read verse 38. And then I'm going to read through chapter 10. But I'm going to... We've read these names like three, four, five times, okay? I'm not going to read the names. I'm going to skip the names, all right? What's on the screen is what I'll do my best to read. But let's look for their response to God's grace. It says, Because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Chapter 10. On the names, on the seals are the names of Nehemiah, the governor, now down to verse 8. These are the priests. Verse 9, and the Levites, and it lists their names. Down to 14, the chiefs of the people, and then it lists all of their names. Verse 28, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord of the Lord our Lord and His rules and His statutes. Verse 30, We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forgo the crops on the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Verse 32, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of the shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. Verse 34, we the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of, of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring the house of our God to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herd and our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all towns where we labor. Verse 38, And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, for, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. That's a lot of information. That's a whole chapter. But as we look at that, what was their response? What's the thing that we see that weaves throughout that? And I think the idea, the big idea, is that as God continues to rebuild us, that we must choose to respond to His undeserving love by serving Him completely. So as God continues to rebuild us, our job, our participation, is to choose to respond to His undeserved love, choose to respond to His grace 
by serving him completely. All right? So that's what we're going to talk about. Who are we choosing? We're choosing God. Who are we choosing to serve? It's God and God alone. We're going to talk about what that choice looks like, what it looks like to choose God. And then if we choose God and we serve him, well, how are we going to serve him? We're going to look at those two things, choosing God and then actually what does it look like to serve him? That's our participation. All right, so first, choosing to serve, choosing God. Look at the beginning of verse 38. It says, because of all this. Because of all what? All right. What's he talking about? What's the this that he's talking about? And I think it's if you look back just a little bit, it's because of this and what they brought it back to you. Remember when we remembered God's story and we looked through God's story and then at the end of it, it came down to their part right here in God's story, what God had recently done with them. And that starts, we can look back to verse 33. And it's because of this, because God, because of your character and your response. Verse 33 shows that God is righteous and He is faithful. It says, Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully. God is righteous, He is faithful. And then what's their response? We see it in the second half of verse 33. It says, And we have acted wickedly. We have sinned against you. We have turned from you. We've had a stiff neck. We haven't listened to you. God, you've been good. You've been righteous. You've been faithful. We haven't responded. Actually, we've responded by turning from you. All of that. And if you look at it, they didn't keep the law. In verse 34, they didn't keep His commandments. And in verse 35, it sums it up. It says, Even in their own kingdom, and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, all this goodness, right? We talked about the goodness of God, all the benefit, all the blessing that they experienced, everything that God had done. He had fulfilled His promises, brought them in the land. He had grown them in number. And yet, what did they do? They did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. God had done all of this for them. He had given them every blessing, and yet they turned. And so as they're saying, because of all this, they're looking back at this. And the verse 36, it really shows, Behold, we are slaves this day. And it says at the end of verse 36, Behold, we are slaves. Because of all of this, we've turned from God, we've turned from serving God, and we've actually are serving the people of these other nations. We're serving other gods. We're not serving our God. We've turned from our God to these other people, these other gods. And it says they're in great distress. You guys remember when Nehemiah heard the word about Jerusalem and about the people? It said the people were in great trouble and shame. This is the same word. They were in great distress. They had turned from God and they were enslaved to this other people. They were serving not God, but another people. And I want to convince you guys this morning that serving is not a choice. It's not a choice for anyone. You are going to serve. I am going to serve. I'm going to serve something or someone. But responding to grace is deciding who you will serve. God gives us grace and we get to decide, who am I going to serve? Am I going to serve Him? Am I going to serve myself? Am I going to serve the world? Who am I going to serve? Because if I don't choose to serve God as they didn't choose to serve God, then they ended up being a slave. They ended up serving someone else. And we either serve God or we serve ourselves or the world. So we have to choose. Choosing God 
requires a decision. They didn't choose God, so they actually chose other gods, other nations. And this is something that the Israelites went through throughout their history, throughout their story. They came to these different places where God says, you choose. It's time for you to choose if you're going to obey me. It's time for you to choose if you're going to follow me. If you look back, Moses had brought them out of slavery. He had brought them out of Egypt. They were wandering in the desert. They weren't being very obedient. They were being stiff-necked repeatedly over and over again. But yet God continued to walk with them, continued to provide for them. And he gets to this point where he lays it out before them. And he lays out this covenant, this promise. He's like, you've got to decide. And if you look at Deuteronomy 30, chapter or verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. This is what's before you. You either get to choose life and choose blessing, or you either choose a curse and you choose death. This is what's before you. Make a choice. Joshua 24.15 Later they come out of the desert. They cross over into the promised land. And Joshua is telling the people as they come into this land that God has given them. And they come to another choice. You guys have got to choose. In verse 15, Joshua says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Decide who you will choose. Repeatedly, over and over again, throughout the history of Israel, throughout, as we see here in Nehemiah, he's saying, choose. Choose who you're going to serve. And not making a choice is a choice. All right? If you don't make a choice to serve God, that means you're choosing to serve other gods. You're choosing to serve self. You're choosing to serve the world. And they say, make a choice. And I want you guys to understand, as you make that choice, choosing God is exclusive. All right? You make the choice for God, you're making the choice for Him alone. You're choosing to serve Him alone. Not and, not both, but either. Or either God or either other gods. You don't get to choose both. As my aunt is here, she asked me, how do I get from your house to Dana Point? She was taking the girls down there to go see whales. And I said, well, how to get to Dana Point? Well, there's lots of ways, lots of choices. Lots of, you can go, from my house, you can take, go up and take the 118 to the 405. And at the 405, you've got to decide if you're going to take the 101 and then take the 101. Maybe you can go on the 101 to 134 to the 5, or you could just go the 405 all the way down. Um, and it just depends. And you could actually go from my house down to the 101 and then be to the 405. There's just so many choices, so many ways that you can choose how you're going to go. That is not how it is with God. He says, this is my way, this is the other way. This is life, this is death. There's only two choices that you get to make. But it's a lot like that highway as she got on and she says, this is the way I'm going to go. And she decided there's all these exit ramps, all these interchanges where I could decide to go another way. I could think this way is better. I could get off this path that I've chosen. And so as we choose God, it's intentional. It's, it's either, it's or. But as we do that, we have to continue to choose Him. Okay? We have to continue to make that choice, continue to stay on that path. God's word is clear. It's either death, it's either life, it's either serving God or serving other gods, serving yourself. So who will you serve? Who will you be a slave to? 
That's the choice. That's the choice we have to make. That's the choice they had to make. And they said, because of all this, we're going to choose God. Because He is a holy God that has sought us out and sought relationship with us. Because He is a holy God that has, when we've turned away, has restored us and loved us and continued to walk with us and forgiven us and not forsake us. We're going to choose God. He started this relationship. He restored this relationship with us. We're going to choose God. Because of all of this, we're going to choose to serve Him. So as you look, they make a firm covenant in writing. Choosing God requires commitment. And the word covenant here, it's a specific word. It's a special word that's used. It really indicates this idea of faithfulness, of response, of action. It's not, as uh, Mary Poppins says, a pie crust promise. Easily made, easily broken. All right? It's a firm promise. It's something very significant that they're doing. It's public. It's for everyone to see. It says on the sealed documents, these documents for everyone to see, the names of princes, Levites, priests, and then it says the chiefs of the people, and then it says in verse 28, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of our God. Everybody. They put their names on it. This is official. This is important. The leaders started, but they invited everyone. Are you going to join us in this? Are you going to be a part of this? And we're going to all put our commitment here. We're going to all put our promise here. We're going to write it down. It's going to go on seals. All right? Generations from now are going to see if we kept our promise because this is going to survive. This document is going to survive. It's important. It's significant. It was going to become a part of history. And I don't think we get that. I walked into the gym yesterday and Gustavo walks up to me as soon as I walk in. Coach Britt! Here's a clipboard. you got to sign these. So what are you talking about, Gustavo? These, these signatures on the back of these pages and it was the registration for both my kids for basketball and another kid on my team and they needed signatures. And the signature was below this promise of good sportsmanship. I said, well, I'm glad I haven't signed this yet. <laughs> right? We're two, three games in. But I signed it, and I took it to the office. I got the other parents to sign it, so I take it into the office. I give it to one of the rec center workers, and I'm like, you know this means nothing. Laughing. I, sing, I, can't, I can't promise this. I can't, I can't ensure that I'm going to have good sportsmanship throughout the game, depending on what goes on. And she starts laughing. She's like, but you signed it. I said, all right, I'll, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. But the thing is, is that little purple sheet of paper, I don't know if Lanark Park will be able to keep up with it even through the season, okay? And after the season, it's going to go away. It's going to go in the trash bin. No one will remember I made that promise. It's not a part of history. Not that serious. But this is something very different. This was going to go from generation to generation. They were making a firm promise. And what they were promising was to submit to God's Word, to submit to His law, to submit to His way. That's the promise that they were making. They had turned from the people and they had turned to God's law. And that's how they were going to participate with God. You guys remember chapter 1, verse 9. I say it every week. He says, But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, 
What's he going to do? From there, I'll gather you. From there, I'll bring them to the place that I've chosen and I'll make my name dwell there. You do this, then I'm going to dwell with you. You respond to me, I'm going to respond to you. We're going to be together. I'm going to make my name dwell there. And I want to show you guys, just so you remember this, even as we walk through, I drew this diagram at the very beginning as we started Nehemiah, but we need reminding that God makes promises. Okay? He makes what we call unconditional promises. He made an unconditional promise to Abraham and he made an unconditional promise to David. He says through Abraham, I'm going to bring about a people. I'm going to increase you in number. I'm going to bless you. And then through you, I'm going to bless the nations. That's what he promised to Abraham. No matter what, that's what God is going to do. He's going to carry that out. He's completed that promise. No one can stop it. With David, he says, I promise that through your line, through your lineage, through your family, I'm going to bring about a king that will rule forever in perfect peace, rule over all the earth in perfect peace. He's talking about Jesus, but he says, I'm going to bring that about. That is something God is going to do. It doesn't depend on us. God says, it's unconditional. This is me working. I'm going to establish a people. I'm going to bless the nations through them. And then I'm going to bring a king to sit in eternity over all the earth to rule it in perfect peace. Those are the things that God is going to do. But then there are these unconditional promises. Or I'm sorry, conditional And what the Israelites had here was this promise made to Moses. God came down to Moses and he gave him his law. And he told them, and within the law, there's basically two parts. There was the sacrifice. And then there was the law, the actual commandments. And so to be able to participate in what I'm doing, to be able to participate in my plan, you guys have to serve me by making sacrifices for your sin and by obeying my commands. And this is what repeatedly over and over again, the Israelites, they were doing the sacrifices, they had built the temple, but yet they weren't obeying His commands. And they had to do both. They had to obey His commands to be able to participate, to be able to be a part of, to be able to have God dwell amongst them. All right? For us, it's a lot different. Okay? We'll talk about it later, but we have the new covenant. We have Jesus. Okay? And that's how we participate is through Christ in what God is doing. Okay? He's made the ultimate sacrifices, but yet we obey and we walk in His ways. We obey His commandments. Okay? So it's a little bit different for us, but I just want you guys to understand that they had to keep the commandments. They had to obey to be able to participate and what God was doing for Him to dwell amongst them. It was not their way. It was His way. You guys got it? You understand that? This, the whole, this whole thing starts to make more sense. Right. So are you willing to choose God? Are you willing to participate? That's our choice. We get to participate. God has put it before us. We get to choose life, choose death. We get to choose to participate. We come face to face with His undeserved love. He started rebuilding us. He's continuing to rebuild us as remembering. But now what? What does that look like to choose to participate, to choose to serve Him? And it's val it was Valentine's Day. So I think this is appropriate. 
We're at this point, we've got to choose, like, if we love this God because He has loved us, He has done everything for us, He's cared for us, what are we going to do in response? How are we going to show Him that we love Him? How are we going to serve Him? All right? And so I thought about this clip because I'm a dad of four and I've watched this movie too many times. So could you guys hear it? I've never felt this way about anyone. I want to do something. What can I do? And his friends say, oh, the usual. Flowers, chocolates, promises you don't intend to keep. And then the lamp comes. He says, no, it's got to be special. It's got to be something we can remember. Something that's interesting. And it's the same way with God. It's like, well, okay, God, I love you. Okay, God, I want to do something. God, you have done so much for me. What can I do in response? And we need to understand. So what does that look like? What does it look like for us to act? What does it look like for us to serve? And so with the remainder of the time, that's what we're going to walk through. What does it look like to serve completely? What does it look like to completely serve God? He was the focus when we looked at grace. And He needs to be the focus as we move forward. He needs to be the focus as we respond in every area of our lives. Okay? To serve Him completely. Three categories that I've broken it down into. The first is our identity. We'll serve Him with our identity. The second is that we'll serve Him with our security. And then the third is we'll serve Him with our priority. Okay? That's what it's going to look like to serve Him completely with our identity, with our security, and with our priority. So first, our identity. Look at verse 30. It says, We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. This sounds strange to us. Right? But basically what he's saying here, what the word is saying, is that they needed to be distinct, they needed to be holy, and set apart for God. Okay? Identifying with God, as I said before, meant identifying with Him alone, not anyone else. And intermarriage at that time, if you intermarried with people of other nations, with people of other backgrounds, you were intermarrying with their gods, okay? God is not against biracial marriage. He's against bifaithful marriages, okay? Not, you can't, he, he doesn't want them because as they come in, they join together in this relationship of husband and wife. They can't bring two gods together. He won't be a part of a relationship. He won't be divided. And he says, so you've got to, you can't marry amongst, amongst the other nations, amongst those outside of you. And I think that's hard for us to understand, to fully identify with him and what it means to be joined with someone or something outside of God. But I want us to think through what it means to be joined with any other idol. What do you join your heart with? What do you join your heart or your identity with that's not of the Lord? What have you attached to that you identify with that's not the Lord? Because God says, I'm your identity. Me alone. I don't share with anyone else. I want to be your identity. We can't join God with other things. We can't be this and that. We are His. And we're His children. And so let me help you. I want you guys to fill in the blank to these questions. And be honest. This is church. Don't lie in church. Alright? And no Sunday school answers. Think about your identity. And say, I am a blank. What comes to mind? I couldn't live without blank. What comes to mind? I would give anything to blank. Are you willing to depart with those roles 
those things, even those relationships, if they challenged or competed with your love for God. God says, I won't compete with anything else. I won't compete with anyone else. It's me and me alone. You need to be holy and set apart for me. And so we have to make sure, even with the good things, good roles, good relationships, things that are good, things that are blessings, right? Things that God has provided for us, they can't compete with our identity as a child of God. That's our identity. That's the only identity that we have that will last forever, is that we are children of God. Everything else, whether you're a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, a friend, a co-worker, those relationships won't last forever. That role, that identity, it won't last forever. The only identity you will have forever is that you can be a child of God. That won't change. So that's our identity. Secondly, is our security. We must serve Him with our security. If you look at verse 31, it says, And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or, or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. And you guys might hear that. And you might think, okay, this is all about money. This is all about tithing. This is all about our goods. This is all about economics. Sort of. It's about our security. Where is our trust? Who do we trust? Do we trust God completely? And do we trust God alone? Basically, it's saying here for them in this agricultural society where everything they had depended on the land, they're saying, we're not going to buy and sell goods. On the Sabbath, we're going to set that aside for God. We're going to trust Him in that day. I don't have to buy or sell my goods because I'm trusting God to provide. They said we can let every seventh year, we can let the fields, these fields that we depend on, these fields that are our resources, that are our lifeblood, we're going to let them rest because it's not the fields, it's God that will sustain us. And then it says we're not going to exact interest. We talked about that in chapter 5. We're not going to charge interest to our brothers and sisters because, we're, again, we're going to trust God. What we have is His. We can trust Him with it. We don't have to take from others. All of this because they trusted God to provide and to come through. I told you guys last week I had an amazing week. All these different things, all these different areas of my life. Wonderful things. I enjoyed the goodness of God. This week at work, on Tuesday, my life, my life, fell apart, all right? I encountered an incident that I can't tell you guys about, but it engulfed me. That's all I could think about, all I could consider. I'm at work, finish my day on Tuesday, 10 hours. I come back on Wednesday, 12 hours. I come back on Thursday, 12 hours. And that's all I can do. I'm not doing the rest of my work. I'm just doing this one thing. I'm just trying to walk through this one incident, this one task is one project and it's all I'm thinking about and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday I didn't read my word I missed family night on Wednesday night I didn't hang out with the body I, I didn't enjoy God's grace I was about that that's all I was thinking about I came home I went to bed so I could get up early to go back the next morning to do that same thing it, it took everything I had and then I get home on Thursday night and I feel just run over. It's not done. It's not complete. It's not finished. It's still out there hanging. I wake up Friday morning. That's what I'm thinking about. 
This is when I'm to be at home. This is when I'm going to, I need to be studying. I haven't studied this just yet because I've been focused on this other thing and I need to walk through this and this is all I can think about. And I'm looking for compassion for my wife. <laughs> Feel bad for me. This is, this is taking over me. That's all I can think about. And she gently, lovingly, in a sweet way, as only she can do, told me, leave and go spend time with the Lord. Stop everything else and spend time with Him. Go be with Him. Go put Him first. And when I did that, everything else came into perspective. It's still there. It's not that I'm anxiety-free about it. I know I've got to deal with it. But yet God has said, I'm God. Do you trust me to handle this? Do you trust me for the outcome? Do you trust me to find out what's actually going on? Do you trust me that there will be goodness, there will be blessing, there will be life? Do you trust me as you walk through this? Because I realized I didn't trust God. My security was not in Him. My security was in the job that I could do and the things that I could find out. And if I could... I could control everything about that situation. What is it that brings you anxiety like that? What is it that you get focused on? You spend your whole day, spend all several days in a row thinking about that thing. Are you trusting God as you deal with that? Are you focusing on it or are you focusing on God? You have to trust Him to turn your focus from that thing to Him. For every situation, every problem. And I don't want us to think that that means that we're supposed to be lazy, that we're supposed to be carefree, that we're supposed to be unmotivated. I'm just trusting God and wait to see what happens. No, God says, participate with me. Okay? But we don't rest in ourselves. We rest in Him. So we don't trust in ourselves. We trust in Him. We continue to participate, continue to walk, but yet He's our focus. He's our trust. He's our security. It's not us. It's not our savings. It's not our stuff. It's not our efforts. It's not our performance. That's not what we trust. We trust Him and Him alone. So are you guys beginning to see this is all, all about Him? As we respond to grace, it's all about Him. In every way, in every situation, we find our identity in Him, we find our security in Him, and then last, we serve Him with our priority. If He's my identity, and if He is my security, then He should be my priority. He should take first place in everything that I do and everything that I am. And you can look as it starts in verse 32. It goes through talking about this house of our God and this priority that God was going to take, this priority that, that, that He was going to take in the lives of the Israelites. Verse 32 through 34 talks about all this work of the temple. A lot of it is really talking about these sacrifices, that they needed to make those sacrifices a priority. But if you look through it, as you heard us read it, it says first fruits, first fruits, firstborn, firstborn, first. It talks about all these firsts. God wants to have first place in everything. And they actually brought these first things. 
There was a physical act that connected with the position of their heart. We've talked about this, we've seen this repeated times. Remember how they were mourning and weeping and how they had dirt on their heads and sackcloths on. It was to show what was actually happening in their hearts. This is much the same way. He says, you're going to give, you're going to bring these things, all these first things, these first portions. You're going to bring them to the house of God. You're going to make them a priority. You're going to actually walk through the act and experience that and feel that and demonstrate that. Not just to acknowledge that. And again, I don't think that's something we get. When I married my wife, she's Mexican, so we had a lasso at our ceremony. I said, well, what is this? All right, they're going to put this rope over us. All right. I was like, this is pretty cool, like, because I like roped in my wife. I roped, you know, I roped in a. No, that's not what it was about. Okay. It was a signature sign of unity. It was a symbol, this process that we went through where we kneeled down in this rope with these two lassos that go over both of us and connect together and that we were going to be one. That's what it signified. And it was important for us not just to say that and acknowledge that, but to actually go through the process. It meant something different to me because I had done it, because I participated and experienced it. And I want us to think about this in many, many more ways than just money. We think about tithes, we think about bringing these offerings, we think about money. It's so much, so much, so much more. It's money too, but it's so much more. Okay? It's our resources, it's our life, it's our time, it's our relationships, it's everything that we do and that we are. We bring the first of that. We make God priority. In tangible ways. Last week, Rebecca had a birthday. And my wife committed to making enchiladas. And after I had actually my suegra, my mother-in-law's enchiladas, and now my wife's enchiladas, I won't eat enchiladas in a restaurant, okay? Their enchiladas don't come with a red tomatoey sauce poured over them, okay? They make chile colorado. Right? Multiple chiles, it's a long process, it's a hard process, and usually I have to help, all right? She's going to make these for Rebecca's birthday. We're going to have people over. Anybody's invited. We're going to enjoy these enchiladas. Annalise gets sick. They can't come to our house anymore. But we're going to continue and make these enchiladas. It would have been easier as I'm taking these trays of enchiladas. We made, I think, three and a half trays. And I took three of the trays down from our apartment over to the Dukes and Lexus and Rebecca's apartment and set them there. And then I left them there and I had to walk back out. And every time that I walked back out, leaving that tray of enchiladas made with Chile Colorado, a little piece of me died inside. <laughs> what, what are we doing? Why are we leaving these enchiladas for them? We went through all this process. She made these enchiladas and we're giving them away? I would have rather have cut a check and paid for dinner for everybody than give them these enchiladas. But I had to actually go through it. We had to choose it. We had to go and give it. We had to let go of it. There was a process that I had to walk through. Would I say I would do that? Absolutely. Would it be easier to write a check? Definitely. It was hard to actually go and do it. This is yours, God. You're the priority. I'm willing to give to you first. They're not, it's not naturally occurring. We have to choose to do that. It says in here uh, two times, it says, we obligated ourselves. 
And I think we've given that word a bad rap, obligated, okay? It just says, I choose now to do this because I know this is good, and regardless of how I feel, I'm going to choose to do it because it's good, okay? We don't do it based off of guilt. We don't do it in misery. That's not what God is saying. He said, I want you to choose this. It's with intention, out of obligation. I intend to do this. I'm going to choose to do this. In this situation, I'm going to choose to serve God. They obligated themselves to do that. They obligated themselves to put Him first. And so I ask you guys, what do you need to obligate to doing? Not out of guilt, not in misery, but saying, this is good. Let me choose to respond and serve Him completely. What does that look like for you? What part of your life, what area is it that you're holding on to, whether it's in your identity or your security, or the things that you want to keep for yourself? What is it that God is saying to you now, saying, no, I want you to give. I want you to come and lay that before, whether it's to the body, whether it's to your neighbor, whether it's to me. But I want you to obligate to do that, to respond in that way, to take action. So the bottom line, as you see in the end, verse 39, the end of verse 39, It says, we will not neglect the house of our God. That's the bottom line. We won't neglect the house of God. We will make Him a priority. We will serve Him. You guys remember, He initiated this relationship. He sustains this relationship. He continues the relationship. It is a one-sided, not very mutual relationship. All we do is respond and serve. We respond to His grace and we serve Him. So are you willing to serve Him completely? You're going to serve someone. It sounds absurd, but ask yourself this morning, who am I going to be a slave to? Who am I going to serve? Am I going to choose to serve God and serve Him completely? Or am I going to choose to serve myself or the world or other gods? You have to make a choice. As God continues to rebuild us, we must choose to respond to His undeserved love by serving Him completely. I've asked you guys repeated times. There's a choice. There's a response to make to grace. How will you respond? How will you respond to the grace that's been provided to us? I'm asking you to choose because you must make a choice. There's no choice not to make a choice. Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 13, He says, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and it says there money. It's God and mammon, God and all the things of the world. You can't serve both. Choose who you will serve. And I'm asking you to choose to serve Jesus. That's our choice. Will we serve Jesus or will we not? It's either or. And I'm asking you to choose to serve Jesus because He first served you. He came and He served you. Look at Philippians 2, 6-8. It's talking about Jesus. Though He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant. He took the form of a servant and served us. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, He humbled Himself. It was not about Him, it was about God. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
He served us in the ultimate way by going to the cross and by paying for our sins, by taking our place. That's what He did for us. That's how He served us, completely. With His identity, with His security, He made us priority. Look at Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. I'm asking you to choose to serve Jesus with your life. Choose to serve Him completely. Because there's no other way to follow Him. It's all in or it's all out. Make a decision. Make a choice. Look at John 12. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me, as for my heart for living stones, we will serve the Lord. That's what we're here to do. How will you respond to His amazing grace? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that what happened with Israel thousands of years ago, Lord, it applies to us, Lord. And it's so clear to see that you are the same God. That you are the same God who initiated relationships, who walked with the people, and who restores relationships, Father. Because you have done that for us, Father. Lord, I thank you for your grace, and I thank you for the ultimate grace of Jesus Christ, Father, that was grace upon grace. He came in grace and truth. Lord, thank you that He is holy and that He is set apart and that He paid for our sins, Lord, on the cross. Thank you that He loved us the way He did, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would continue to be rebuilt by Your grace. You would grow us as individuals, as a body, Father, by Your grace. Lord, that because of Your grace, Lord, we would choose to respond to serve You and to serve you completely, Father, with all of our lives. Lord, please do that in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.